Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You went to a really good theater school or a really well-known theater school. There were very, there were a lot of chances that your professors were working in the industry, and certain people from that school would sort of go on and and do a sort of larger scale things, right? There was always sort of that structure. How you day? How you day? Have you ever heard of a referable idea? Some of you might guess what that means based on the Monica. Some of you might be curious and want me to tell you what it is right now. But you know what? I'm not. I want you to listen to the episode because my man Michael Roderick here is a very interesting personality who has worked on stage and with clients. When I say stage, I mean Broadway. Yes, Broadway. So Broadway, business worlds, helping people develop ideas, and we are opening up in some parts of the world and in the parts that aren't opening up there's this sense of pushing through and creating virtual platforms whatever it is the engine behind the virtual reality and the in-person reality is how powerful your idea is so if you want to know what your idea needs to germinate into opportunity check out this episode And for those of you that have been supporting, I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I saw some of your reviews. Please continue to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. I cannot tell you how much it helps. It helps with the algorithms and it helps with the rankings. Also, share as much. If you find an idea, just share as much. I, you know, occasionally will put audiograms on my Instagram. So if you, you know, there's an episode you like specifically, You might find the audiogram for that, and you can also share that as well. But share, review, and thank you. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Michael Roderick. Now, Michael is the founder of Small Pond Enterprises LLC and the host of the Access to Anyone podcast. If you've ever thought about relationship building or building a referable brand idea, you've got just the person for you. Because this Rhode Island native (laughs) who wanted to be a teacher is here to discuss his strategies. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to uh, get a chance to take. I know the pleasure is mine. I I, I had to bring in Rhode Island. I don't talk to a lot of people from Rhode Island, even though I live in New York. You know, few and far between, you know, at least that I've made my way to my podcast. So every time I meet someone Mm. from Rhode Island. 
I get really excited. What was it like growing up in Rhode Island? <laughs> um, so Rhode Island is like the Rhode Island is that like everybody knows everybody kind of place because it's so small. So I remember when I was student teaching, I would be like out in my neighborhood and I would see students. Like I was like, you always saw people you knew. Like you could not, it's the complete opposite of New York City where it's like every once in a while you might run into somebody that you know, um, depending on sort of the area. But like in Rhode Island, you would literally be like, I went to high school with you. I went to... (laughs) <laughs> if you just like go around your neighborhood, it's like it's absolutely crazy. I, I I can imagine. I can imagine, and it's 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 interesting because I grew up in the opposite side. I grew up. I'm from Nigeria, so I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, as one of the the places that I ended up growing up in. And it's the opposite. It's like the New York City of, of Nigeria is just everywhere in chaos. Someone is always trying to get into somewhere, <laughs> um, and then if you see someone, you're like, ah, but but. You know, having that experience, <laughs> I, I then wonder though, how did you develop this art for theater? Because you, you double major, you double major in theater uh, and English, right, or secondary? I yes, yeah, yeah, I was uh, English. Uh, yeah, I was secondary in English and uh, theater performance uh, was the was the double major uh, that that I did. I'd always had a theater background, like I'd always loved theater. I was always doing you know little skits and performances ever since I was a young kid. And when I came to my parents with the fact that I wanted to be uh, a theater major and I wanted to go for acting was sort of how I uh, I sort of started the whole thing out. Um, You know, the question that came as question comes from most parents, you know, well, what's your other job gonna be? Um, And my mom um, had been a kindergarten teacher. So I um, said, okay, yeah, I'll do elementary ed. And I got in and I would say probably about a little ways into a year of the elementary ed program, I was like, yeah, I'm never going to be able to, to, to do elementary ed. I just like have no interest in this age group. Uh, I don't want to teach them. Um, but I was drama coaching at uh, my old high school. And when I did that, I just loved it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to move into secondary. And because of that, I basically had to like overload my credits in college because I suddenly had to basically, I had, I had lost like a year of, stu- you know, doing elementary. There wasn't very much that carried over. So I had to go through the entire secondary ed process and the entire theater major. So I remember very distinctly uh, overload, like going to the Dean to get my credits overloaded every every semester and taking summer classes with like a full course load of uh, of summer <laughs> classes just so i could get uh just so i could get both uh, both degrees and i still ended up having to do uh what they call the victory lap where you have to do an extra year it's a lot of work <laughs> brutal <laughs> now okay so you, you you work with broadway actors as well and actresses yep. I have uh, I've always loved movies and cinephiles and anything performance based or theater as well. And I'm reading Matthew McConaughey's book right now, Greenlight, and he made the switch from law to um, the, the studying film in school. But I, I, I hear mixed results. Do actors need to go to film school? Do the theater <laughs> theater actors and actresses need to go to, you know, uh, you know, you know, school to, to get this degree? What do you say? Where do you stand on that? So I- I think we are in a time where everybody's starting to question the validity 
of a degree, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And originally, the way that this kind of had worked out was that you didn't really get the degree for the education. You got the degree for basically the doors it would open up for you. So if like mm. you went to a really good theater school or a really well-known theater school, there were very there were a lot of chances that your professors were working in the industry and certain people from that school would sort of go on and, and do sort of larger scale things, right? There was always sort of that structure, but, uh, with everything that sort of happened in the world, um, not only from from the pandemic, but just from the way that life has changed with the internet and the fact that we don't need, you know, these um, these credibility markers as much anymore. People aren't putting as much weight on them. I think that it's the type of thing where if you want to get better at your craft, sure go and get better, you know, get better at your craft, but you can still build a network, learn tons of things without going into ridiculous debt for some degree at a school that has a name. <laughs> and the irony isn't lost to me, by the way, I'm a, <laughs> you're a teacher, you have a teacher heart, I'm a professor. And, and an agile professor, I should say, rather. And I, I, I had the same conversations with my students. And I found myself saying the same thing. I, I went all the way to get an MBA. So I, yeah. traditionally, when I was growing up, that was the thing you're supposed to say, go as far as you did. But I have the same conversations with my students. And I, and I would just say, I don't know the school is for everyone. But education yeah. is very important regardless of where you decide to go to school, whether it's a school of hard knocks or school of life or, or any of these things. And, but it's, it comes down to that, that uh, aspect of the model. I question the model often because the way yeah. students are, even with the pandemic, the way students are primed to learn, you know, you have frustrated students wondering, well, why am I paying all this money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. Yep. But, but it, it does segue into something that you're so great at, which is connecting. This is the other form of education. And I, I wonder if you could explain to the audience the importance of becoming a connector, uh, you know, because sure. I think that's a form of education that doesn't always get taught in actual schools. Uh, off the top. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah we, we very rarely have anything that's taught to us that is in that sort of relationship building kind of space. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, there there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's sort of, you know, very, very surface. Right. Um, but there's not a lot of stuff that's very um, that's very deep when we, you know, when we think about this idea of building relationships. And the way that I think about it is that the keys to all the doors we need to open are in other people's pockets. Right. So every person has a set of resources at their disposal. I, I call it the TCM index. So every individual has an index of time, connections, and money. And there's usually surpluses and deficits in those in those resources. So for some people, they have a surplus of money, but they don't necessarily have the connections that they're hoping for. Uh, some people have the connections and the money, but they don't really have the time, you know, and they've got to figure out sort of how do they get the time to do the things that they want to do. Some people have a surplus of time and they don't have many connections and they haven't made they haven't made much money. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the answer to solving whatever the deficit in is in is always in the other two things. 
So if you uh, are hurting for money, it is directly tied to how you're spending your time and who you're spending your time with. Yeah. Because if you're selling something, let's say you're selling like a, a $5,000, you know, offer, but you're never getting in front of people who can spend five, $5,000 and all of your time is spent with people who are at those lower levels in terms of what they're, of what they're buying. You're never going to sell that offer. You're never going to get that thing, get that thing off the ground. Right. And the same thing, it's like, if you have a connection deficit and you're trying to meet certain types of people, well, that's going to tie to where are you spending your money and how are you spending your time? I know that for a lot of Broadway producers, one of the biggest things that they would do is they would join a high-end club because that's where a lot of people with a lot of money were hanging out, mm. right? And as a result, they could start to get to know those people, develop those relationships, build, you know, and build something, right? But if you were, you know, spending that same amount of money on, you know, uh, a bunch of low, um, low cost events uh, that were sort of networking focused, you may never meet somebody who can, you know, really help you in that, you know, in that regard. You may, there's always, so there's always this, there's this concept of weak ties, right? Where it's like your strongest results come from your weakest connections. So very, very often the people that we barely know are usually the ones who are able to help us the most because they have access to networks that we don't know about, right? Yeah. Like they have, we, you know, we're not in the same, you know, in the same circles. So that can always happen. But that is a, that is one of those like, you know, roll the dice kinds of scenarios. And I think that, you know, when we think about relationship building, I think one of the things that we often forget about is the fact that we need to be intentional about the relationships that we're developing. Like we have to take the time to say, who are the people that I really jive with, that I really connect with, that I really think, you know, are kind of in the same, you know, have the same interests or have the same sort of excitement about an industry or about an idea. And who else kind of has those, uh, like a similar set of ideals, right? Who else kind of believes uh, a lot of the same things that I believe? And if they're in other industries, that's great because we sort of tie in that weak tie type of scenario. But what I see most often is that most relationship building is very scattershot and people spend all their time trying to sort of just like meet as many people as possible uh, without really ever having an idea of like, well, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And are any of those people, you know, willing to help you, uh, you know, accomplish it? Yeah. So time, people, and money, oftentimes, the, the, that, that intersection of that. Yep, I yep. do, there's an interesting correlation with that people thing because pandemic obviously stalled a lot of things. Yeah. And in your research and in, in your line of work, and you work with a lot of, of Broadway actors, but you also work with a lot of people who are interested in becoming you know, much more of what they, they aspire to be. Did you notice new habits forming in people or did you see the, the framework you have actually being implemented by people that you've worked with in the past? Because I'm curious about those case studies uh, that, that sure. can come about from when we don't have those physical places to go see people anymore. Yeah, well, the thing, the, the thing is um, interest has no boundaries, Yeah. right? So like, if I'm interested and excited to talk to you, I will be happy to be on a Zoom call, 
right? It doesn't mean that I, I don't have to be in person with you in order for that to in order for that to work, right? And the thing is, I, I remember when I used to raise money, one of the things that I often used to say was that RAB is attracted to TAC. And that is rich and bored is attracted to talented and crazy. <laughs> so when you had people who had sort of hit a certain level, everybody around them was either just sort of complimenting them or saying a lot of the same things. So those people would always seek out novelty. And you actually see this across the board. So like if you look at any celebrity or any sort of high level person, they often have people within their circle that are just like completely out there. Like where it's just like, wow, that's like, they're doing like such like wild things and you know all this kind of stuff. Because in some cases that person's gonna be actually honest with them, right? Because they're not just, you know, trying to suck up to them to, you know, get money or get fame or, or whatever. Um, and in other cases, their, their lives feel so different from this celebrity's life, from this person who's like, you know, having this, you know, experience of everybody, you know, uh, catering to them and loving them and all this other stuff. They're, they have no idea what it's like to be the, you know, the struggling artist. So you will often see a lot of high profile people finding people who are just interesting to them and exciting to them. So I think one of the things that it's important to ask is, am I doing interesting things? Like, am I creating something that is causing people to say, wow, I need to know more about, you know, about this person. And, and that's really where I started to sort of think about this idea of referability. Cause probably about, I would say like four or five years back, I noticed that the networking world, there was a lot of like really scummy things happening within that world where people were trying to sort of sell folks on, you know, pay me $25,000 and you'll meet all of these famous people and then you'll be rich, right? And, you know, all of these types of things. And I didn't want to necessarily be associated with that side of things. So I asked, if I took networking out of the equation, what still got me into all the rooms that I ended up in? And I realized it was because people would talk about me when I wasn't in the room in a good way. And I think that we don't spend enough time thinking about, are we creating interest? Because we often think that access is our problem. We often think like, oh, I just need to meet somebody. I just need to connect with somebody and I get my foot in the door. It'll be, it'll be great. But the fact of the matter is, it's actually not about access. It's about interest. If you can create interest, people come to you. People ask you the questions. They reach out to you. So it's better to focus on this aspect of, are you going to create interest? Are you going to create curiosity? Are you going to create intrigue around you? As opposed to, are you going to be reaching out and trying to get people to respond to you, listen to you, have conversations with you? And this is on your referable brand idea, right? This is a, a pillar yes. of that. I, I want to give you an opportunity to share more about that because it's a concept sure. you've been working about. Well, what are the pillars of this framework exactly? And how can it be applied yeah. to every facet of life? Yeah, so basically the the main principles are easy to remember because it spells the word aim. So you want to think about the idea of taking aim uh, when you're doing this. So the first pillar is accessibility, 
So the first hurdle that you're always going to deal with is can people outside of your industry actually understand what you're talking about? Most of the time we fall in what I like to refer to as an echo chamber of the enlightened, where basically everybody's kind of saying the same thing and everybody's patting each other on the back, but you go outside of your industry and people have no idea what you're talking about, right? So your first hurdle is always, if you want to be more referable, your first hurdle is always making sure, do other people actually understand me or am I just being yes to death by all the people who are in my industry, who already know these words, who already use these terms, right? And a lot of people can spend their entire lives just being yes to death and actually not be accessible to many people at all, right? The second idea is influence. And most of the time when we think about influence, we think about it in the context of persuasion because that's what most of the content is that's out there, right? The idea is that if I persuade you to do something, if I can convince you to do something, then I have influence. But true influence is if you do something without me asking you to. And what's the only reason you're going to do something without me asking you to? Because it has a benefit to you. So most of the time when we think about our messages, we think, how do I impress everybody else? When what we really should be thinking about, if somebody shared this message, would other people be impressed with them? So the more that we package these ideas in this type of style, where if somebody else were to share it, it makes them look cool. It makes them look interesting. We actually have far more influence as a result of doing that. And then the final category is memory, because it doesn't matter if you have the best thing in the world. Somebody who is second tier to you, who comes up with an easier way to remember it, will beat you every single time. And most of the time we spend our time focused on like, how do I tell the story? When what we really need to be spending more time on is how do I make sure that people are able to retell the story? And so when you think about Exactly, exactly. So you want to think about memory in the context of the way I like to say it is, uh, if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less. Yeah. And that's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. So language is, can you come up with your own words? Can you come up with your own ways of saying things? Because if you do, that will stay in people's memory. This is the reason why everybody knows who Shakespeare is and only English majors know who Christopher Marlowe is, right? <laughs> Hands down, because Shakespeare added new words to the English language. Emotion. When we are in heightened states of emotion, our brains become like a sponge because in primitive times, that was used to protect us. If we were in a heightened state of emotion, we needed to remember that a tiger jumped out from behind that tree. We needed to remember all of these things. We needed to remember the details. So when we're in heightened states of emotion, we start to remember way more details. So if we're not actually tapping into people's emotions, then they're less likely to remember the content. They're less likely to remember the idea. And this is why you see like lots of TED Talks where the opening of the TED Talk is usually some kind of emotional story. Yeah. Because the second that we've heard that, now our brains are open. And the example I like to give with emotion is um, if uh, you ask anybody right now what the opening scenes of Titanic are, nobody can tell you, right? Like nobody can give you those details. 
But if you say to that exact same group of people, what image pops into your head when I say I'll never let go, everybody's got a, like, a crystal clear image in there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And that's, you know, um, and that, you know, that ties to the next one, which is simplicity, which most of the time academics for, and you know, this, uh, you know, being in the education space, academics reward complexity. You were required to write the biggest papers, to use the biggest words. And this carries over into messaging all the time where people are trying to like impress us with all of their complications. But the fact of the matter is memory rewards simplicity. If it's simple, I'll be able to actually carry the information. I won't, you know, forget it, right? But if it's not simple, I'm probably going to forget it. Yeah. And that leads to the last piece, which is structure, which is the brain needs structure to process information. So we actually have to give our audience a structure to remember things. Hence, AIM, right, helps you remember it because it's a structure. Yes. And there are all sorts of different ways that we can structure our ideas and our concept. But when we do this, when we take the time to create these referable brands, what we do is we develop. So you are most people already know or have been you know, searching for thinking about their why. Right. But what this process does is it gives us our if. And that is an innovative framework. The second that we have that innovative framework, you can build a business, you can build a TED talk, you can build all sorts of things around that one concept because people will then carry it with them and talk about it. And, and we've seen this numerous times where we watch a TED talk and three months later, four months later, a book's out Yes, about that exact same TED talk, yes. right? Yes. And it yes. just happens over and over and over again, because if we hear an innovative idea where we're like, wow, that's so interesting, that's so kind of fascinating, and somebody takes the time to actually build a framework around it, an innovative framework, we're just like, I'm going to tell my friends that, right? And the best example is the Simon Sinek uh, Start With Why talk, right? That talk, tons of different talks on leadership, but that talk got shared like crazy. And Why? Because everybody can draw a circle and look smart in front of their friend. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist, and it's a resource 
of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses, it's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out, use it with your friends, use it with your family, use it with yourself, okay? The link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. I I love that you're teaching frameworks because it's what I teach my students as well. I teach uh, communication and, and, and public mm. speaking. And my book came from a talk I had. It was a framework, educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. Anything that I always, I, I love I love acronyms or rhyming or anything like that because of what you're saying. Because sometimes, you know, I'll be in, a, in an elevator or someone say, how can you, you know, I do a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion. Well, what's the problem with the, uh, w- w- you know, with the world right now? Well, it's, People aren't working on their worldviews. And what is a worldview? It's lived experience plus exposure. Whoa, what is lived experience plus exposure? Let's get, but, it, but it's when you can simplify a complex idea and, and it make yep. it into something. It, it, it makes you, like you said, more referable. But I, 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 I have the same frustration with you because I think a lot of people, when you get on TV, they get too enamored with the sound or the voices sometimes and how intelligent that they can sound that they stray yeah. away from the topic, you know? And yeah. we're recording this on, on, on the heels of another, yet another shooting. And one of the things that I keep coming, it boils down to this, that I, when I'm trying to come up with why I think some of these things are happening, well, I'll talk about accountability. We don't have a culture of accountability. Yeah. And then I'm like, what is the culture of accountability? A culture of accountability that doesn't reward, that, that doesn't just reward punishment or unjust things. And so mm-hmm. you then explain what is punishment or what codes. And so I'd say, well, we have several codes. We have blue wall sounds, so we have guide code, we have girl code, all these things all stripping away accountability. Then you grow up into a culture like that. But that concept, that ability is something that everyone can do. It doesn't come from, uh, you know, uh, mimicking people that can give you the best and biggest words, but your ability to truly understand and listen and to look at the bigger picture and, and the small picture at the same time, which again, maybe it could be a byproduct of the money place <laughs> and environment. Yes. But, but that idea of, I think, is listening and understanding how different people interact with whatever your idea is, it can often lead you to actually paint that big picture in a way that other people can translate to their audiences. Yeah. And the uh, the point that you're making is one of the most important points in relationship building as well which is this aspect of most relationships are built because you listen not because you talk fact taking the time to really understand somebody really listen to what they're talking about and respond in a thoughtful way take those questions and those ideas and be able to distill things down for them and help them, you know, understand those particular concepts. And uh, often what I like to say is that you cannot underestimate the significance of making other people feel significant. Mm. Oh my gosh. It is. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) It is so, so important and we don't do it enough, right? Like we just, we just don't do it enough. We, uh, as, as, just you know as humans we want to we want to share our thing right like we want people to know our stuff and it's it's it takes this like extra thing to be like okay i'm gonna listen to you i'm going to 
honor what you have to say and I'm going to hear you. And like, how often do we end up in situations and, you know, as a podcast host, you know this because you, you probably go through this as well. Some conversations where you're like, wow, we just had a conversation. And there are other podcast conversations where you are literally like, oh my God, are they reading off of a script right now? <laughs> like, are they like, did they hear anything that yeah. I just said, <laughs> or are they literally just powering through the points of their book or whatever, yeah. you know, or whatever the scenario is. And we feel less connected to the people who are not listening and yeah. who are not engaged. And it's because that's there. There's a major difference, and this actually goes back to all the theater stuff between active listening and waiting for your next line. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're talking. I feel like I'm talking to the same person here. This is so true. So I, I never got into um, performance, even though my friends will describe me as a performer. <laughs> I can be pretty <laughs> animated. But as a kid, you know, I, I got, you know, A's and B's. I was a relatively good kid in terms of school-wise, but I was that kid that couldn't sit down, right? So, and mm-hmm. growing up in five countries, we didn't have the language for it then. You know, anxiety, ADHD, all these things. I was just off, bouncing off the walls. I was very creative. And when I made the switch, I didn't want to do, my dad wanted me to do law. Mom wanted me to be a doctor. But then I was like, let me try business. And then eventually quit a job and then launched uh, something along the interest of my writing pursuits and, and all these things. But everything that I was curious about as a kid, why, why I was always bouncing off the walls, was always about that why or how, or let's find out the simple reason. Why did we, I lived in a dictatorship, two of them. How, why, how can we solve this? And it all came from asking all these questions. And when I was finally able to have that confidence to quit the job, I had all these notebooks or digitally and physically, I'd written things down and trends and patterns, which is the point I'm getting at. I had written all these yeah. patterns that I, I, I kept to myself because the world, I guess, in my head felt like a place where these patterns weren't a- allowed to be sexy or even considered a- an answer. And I, I wonder right now if the people in the audience who are listening to you and I and saying, well, okay, it's easy for you two to say, well, come up with a framework, come up with a framework. How can you then distill complex ideas, what would you say to that person? For me, it was writing and observing and asking questions and just yeah. being my bouncy self and and, and, and yep. flowing with that. But someone else might yeah. be listening and saying, well, I, I'm an introvert. I'm not this or I'm not that. What would they say? You know? like, how would they- yeah. I mean, ultimately what it comes down to is you've talked about patterns. Patterns are the precursor to frameworks. Yes. Right. When we see patterns, we can start to say, okay, based on the fact that this happens over and over and over again, I can describe this in this way. I can use this metaphor. I can talk about this journey that somebody is going on or sort of whatever that particular scenario is. So it's not even so much about like if you are an introverted person and you're not out there asking questions necessarily, you can observe and you can look at other questions that people have been asking and listen to other interviews and you can ask yourself, what are the patterns that I notice? What are the things that I see? And then say, okay, based on those patterns, I'm going to come up with a framework and I'm going to see, I'm going to basically stress test this framework. And, and one of the things that, so I write a daily email. So I write Monday through Friday. And one of the most powerful things about writing daily is the fact that 
it is the highest level of market research you can do because you can test for the unprovoked response. And that is one of the most important things. If you write something and people come back to you without you giving them any kind of call to action or without you asking them to tell you what they think, then you know you've hit a nerve. You know you've happened upon something that is really catching people and really getting them to and, and really getting them to think. And this is what I do all the time. Like even even in conversations, right? Like so if you're doing if you're doing podcasts, for example, or if you're going and you're doing talks or or, or presentations, comedians do this all the time. They find small clubs. And then they test out new ideas and they see how big the laughs are, right? And then based on that, they start to refine, you know, they refine and figure it out. You could do the same thing with frameworks where basically like you share a framework, you share an idea that you have. Yeah. And then you watch like which of these light people up, which of these get them talking and sort of coming back to me and having this like in-depth conversation. And you're like, okay, there's way more to dig into here because every everybody's asking me about this. You know what? Nobody's asking me about. So maybe there's not that much more to dig into, or you know what? Maybe this isn't the best metaphor. Maybe I should think about another metaphor, or maybe I should think about another way of framing this or discussing this. And the interesting thing is that you can take a concept and you can frame it in 20 or 30 different ways and you never know which way is really going to hit with people so why not test it as opposed to being like i have to i think one of the issues and this comes up with the writing side like people ask me all the time how do you write every day and i tell them that i give myself permission to suck i understand that there is absolutely no way that i can be consistent and brilliant it just doesn't happen yeah. right there's going to be great stuff. There's going to be sucky stuff. There's going to be somewhat in, in between. There's going to be stuff that gets crickets. But as long as I continue, I get all sorts of feedback from the market. It helps me figure out sort of what I should refine, what I should talk about, what I shouldn't, you know, what's working, what's not, and can move from there. But it's because I'm just giving myself the permission to let whatever happen happen. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And it's that piece, right? It's that aspect of the second that you start working without expectation, and this is in relationships too, the second that you can let go of the idea of expectation, everything will feel so much easier. Hmm. It's because our expectations are what screw us up. And I, I wrote about this in one of my emails. I talked about the fact that like, there's this, uh, this like speed of expectation, right? Where it's like, if I want to get something done and there are high expectations on myself, it might take me two to three times as long, or I may never get it done depending on the level of expectation I've placed on it. So if people are telling me, man, you really need to do a Ted talk. That's, you know, you're, you're just brilliant and you need, you know, a, you, you're going to come up with all the great, you know, the greatest stuff. And then ahead, I'm like, wow, I need to do a Ted talk, but it's got to be brilliant. It's got to be awesome. It's got to be this big, I will never do the Ted talk. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it'll just keep getting pushed because the expectation is there. 
But the second I'm like, I just let, and I, this happened with, with acting too. It really wanted the part. I never got it. But if I was literally on my way to another class and I was like, crap, I just got to do this audition and get out of here. That was the part I got. That was the part. Yeah. Because oh, expectation it. was out the window. Even with presentations, sometimes the ones where you're not even in the mood for it or you're something, you're tired <laughs> or something, they end up being so powerful. Some of them are some of the most powerful experiences because whatever is happening in your body is just, you're, you're just releasing any inhibitions and you're just like, oh, you know, I'm, this is who I am right now. And everything just kicks in because you've done the work already if, if you've committed to doing that. And, yep. and it happens um, so often, but I love your commitment to this consistency and messaging. If, if anyone's listening to the, um, the podcast now, I, I hope you'll be able to pick up on how you know, Michael has said the same thing in different ways, but he's shown you how it applies to every facet of life, right? And it's because of the framework. And now a, a lot of people listening will think, oh, connector, big deal. What's that? I, I'm in sales. I'm not in sales. I'm in, you know, in a job where I'm by myself the whole time, but it is in every facet of our lives. Many people are going to be friends. You're going to raise kids if you want to be a caregiver, or you're going to want to communicate an idea in some shape or form, whether it's to the person that's your neighbor or to a business or a potential investor. And if you don't know any of these things, these skill sets that Michael's talking about, it wouldn't translate into a following or an investment. And that's, that's, that's why. Also, I think the biggest part of this is, this is one of the best ways to understand yourself. It's one of the biggest self-awareness uh, tools where you actually just start realizing, oh, I didn't know that by myself. Oh, I need to know that more by myself. I don't like that of myself. Maybe I shouldn't be around these people. What? This is, you know, that's what I've, I've you know, taken from any of these experiences in my life. And I think that self-awareness key is such a huge component to, to, to personal development, but also connecting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it, it is, it's so, so important to take the time to look at your own patterns, right. Yeah. And sort of about the things that are happening. So one of the exercises that I've started doing that has worked really, really well for me, um, is this aspect of, you know, if you think of every day as a gift, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you ask yourself these gift questions, right? So the first is what went well or what's the gratitude? So what am I grateful for as a result of, you know, as a result of this day? And you look back on your day and you really, you pull out those things that you're like, this really worked, you know, this really worked well, this really worked great. Second, what can I improve? What are the improvements that I can make? What are the things that just didn't go as well? And just get those out. The next is the F, which is focus. What should I focus on moving forward? And so often we just kind of go day to day without ever thinking about what do I want to focus on? And that lack of focus often is what causes us to just sort of float right? And not really get to the things that we want to get to. And then finally, the T are the takeaways. What have I learned? And you sit and you look at that whole list and you say, man, based on what just happened today, I have a fear of this yes. or this thing is not working in my life. Or 
I don't really like working with this client or I don't really like doing this, you know, coaching model or consulting model or whatever it is. And when you have that, if you do that for a while, after a while, you can see the patterns and those patterns are going to give you frameworks for how to live your life where you finally, like you start to say like, oh man, this happens over and over and over again. So this is how I want to do things from now on. This is how I want to handle things from now on. When you have discoveries and I've just always found like that's been so, so powerful to do that reflection because we don't do reflection enough. We, we always learn about planning. We always learn about execution, but reflection is almost always relegated to the idea of journals and, and, you know, thinking about the thing that we want and all this other stuff. But reflection is one of the most powerful tools that you have. You yeah. can completely change your life if you're willing to look at your life. Yeah. And, we, and that's oh so important. No, no. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, you oh, made, no, you, not at all. You reminded me of, I think it's a Ray Dalio quote. I think he said reflection plus action is progress. I might be butchering I love it, that. But it was something <laughs> along the lines of reflection being important. But that was, yeah. you know, that's just what I was what I wanted to add to that. How did you yeah. become so wise, sir? Where, where, <laughs> where did this come from? Studying all the great thespians. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where I I honestly think like when you have personal experience, like when you have things that have happened in your life and you do take the time to reflect and sort of look back on those things. And on top of that, you also read right and you like you explore your interests after a while a lot of those things start to kind of thread together and i know that like for me a lot of my writing has come from me looking back at a moment in my life and asking like what is the lesson and often when people ask me about like building a following one of the things that I often will tell them is that one of the best ways to build a following is to tell a story and teach a lesson because people love stories. They they love hearing it and they love afterwards sort of having this idea of like, well, what do I do? Right? Like, what can I take from this? Like, what can I actually do with this? Because I think that's the failing of a lot of inspiration. Right. So like we, we get a lot of, you know, we see a lot of talks, we see a lot of presentations and they're focused on inspiration. They're focused on this idea of like, you can be like me. Yeah. Right. But inspiration doesn't get you very far. Right. It can, it can excite you. It can sort of move you, but it's not, inspiration isn't going to be the thing that's going to like get you to do the work. Right. It's that pursuit of excellence it's that aspect of like i'm going to do something now with this information that i have yeah to build you know some that's what really moves moves the needle yeah. and i think that too often we don't focus on that right we focus on the inspiration we we kind of live in this world of inspiration and i think it's so important to say what is that like level of excellence that I'm interested in. What do I need to learn to achieve that? What do I need to discover? What do I need to develop in my, in my life? Yes, that was inspirational. Yes, that was exciting, but like, is it useful? Uh, and I think that that's such an important piece of any, any aspect of thought leadership, honestly. No, I love that. And, and, and you know, with your two 
big enterprises right now, small pond enterprises and access to any, any one podcast. Can you tell us about how you're continuing your message with these platforms? Yeah, sure. So with Small Pond, um, I spend most of my time helping thoughtful givers become thought leaders. So a lot of the time people who are really great at giving and supporting and helping others are the most likely to deprioritize the packaging of their intellectual property. So they'll do great work for their clients, but they'll never sit down and actually develop these frameworks because it feels, in some cases in their brain, it feels selfish to like take that time away from their clients, right? Um, and in other cases, it's literally this aspect of they're so close to it, they just have no idea like how to explain it or sort of how to, you know, how to shape it. So I love working with folks uh, in that capacity with Small Pond Enterprises. Um, and then with access to anyone, I am fascinated by people, as you can probably imagine. So one of the things that I do is I just I have all these different types of people on the show we have these conversations where I literally just kind of let my curiosity take me wherever it takes me yeah and at the end of the show I ask every guest if they could have access to anyone someone you know anyone that they would ever want to meet uh they have to be living who would that one person be and it's always just fascinating to hear the people that other people want to meet and why, right? Like who, who does, you know, things that are interesting to them and sort of moves their life forward, you know, all of those types of things. So those are, the, those are the two things I, uh, I, I do with that. And I'll make sure to put the, sh the, the links in the show notes. It's www.smallpondenterprises.com and www.access to anyone podcast.com, which is amazing. You got those domain names. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh -huh. I I'll you, I jumped on a lot. Like I I've got a lot of domain names where it's like the second I come up with like a name for something, I'm like I need to just like jump on that and and get it. So I've got a, a nice little like list that's of great. domains where it's just like I thought this is interesting. So yeah, that's a good that's a good way to make sure that in case it materializes, you already have it, and then it yeah. could also be a business because someone else could yep. want that domain, and you're like, ah, how bad it is true. How, how valuable is it to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> um, the, the, the last question I, 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 you know, you end your podcast with a question. I also end my podcast with a question. And my mission statement is yeah. use your difference to make a difference. Mm. So, Michael, how do you use your difference to make a difference? I do my work and I've always, throughout everything that I've ever done in my life, because I don't want people to feel alone. So every gathering I've put together, every event that I've done, everything that I've ever created has always been driven by this idea that I don't want people to feel alone. I know what it's like to feel alone. I've had that experience. You know, I've had that experience in my life. I've been the outsider. I've gone through that. And, you know, nothing is harder than feeling completely misunderstood feeling like nobody can hear you, feeling like nobody's listening. And if I can continuously help people to be heard, especially good people who are doing really, really great things in the world, because one of the things that happens is that a lot of subpar material and subpar ideas get extraordinary marketing yeah. and a lot of extraordinary ideas and worthwhile ideas and useful things in the world get subpar marketing. So if I can help change that balance and make sure that more good people are being heard and do not feel alone, that is 
super important to me. Beautiful. You can catch Michael at his digital home <laughs> or one of his digital homes at uh, www.smallpondenterprises.com. We've been talking about how to to build that referable brand idea. And if, if you're as inspired as he, as he sounds, I, I know that your idea is going to be uh, brilliant. But I, I want to thank you, though, for really breaking down these complex concepts and showing us just how we can come up with our own frameworks, but also why that is important in order for us to know ourselves as well as to truly know how other people can be seen. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. Pleasure's mine. Kings, queens, and royalty. Till next time. <laughs> Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.